Man, thank you to all who have had a part in planning and leading today. From Tommy and the guys with the breakfast this morning, thank you all so much. To Judy and those who helped decorate, and those of you who helped set up, to the worship team leading us in music this morning, uh, thank you all so much. To Sunday school teachers for, for pulling double duty in a lot of things, thank you guys. Um, it, it's just so exciting to be a part of, of such a vibrant body. God has blessed us. Praise, praise his name. Just, just so you know, we are used to the noises of little children. So please do not feel like you need to remove them. We love having families worship together. We feel like it's vitally important for kids to see mom and dad engaged in the sermon, in the songs, in the worship. And so if, if you need to, to step out for a moment and handle something with your child, feel free to do that. My wife may have to do that. Don't feel bad. Come right back in and join us. We, we love having families together. So uh, Psalm 22, you can turn there. This is a, a messianic psalm. This points forward in some very obvious ways to the Messiah. We want to look at it together. This, this Easter morning, we celebrate... The, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. It is not enough to just search for eggs and eat your body weight in peeps. There's more to this day than doing those things. Today must be about the resurrected King of glory or we have missed the point entirely. We know that if Christ had never been raised, then the preaching of Christians, me standing up here, would be in vain. It would be futile. And everyone who believes the message that we're talking about has been deceived and should be pitied. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15. So I want to just, before we read our text from Psalm 22, just continue working backwards from that viewpoint for just a moment. If Christ had never been raised then what else is true? Well, if he'd never been raised, then he's still dead. His body is still in the ground. And if he's still dead, then he did not sufficiently atone for the sin of people who would believe. And if he did not atone for sin, then our faith would be futile. And even people that try really hard and are very religious, they are still in their sins. If people are still in their sins, then God cannot as a righteous and holy judge, offer them eternal peace or an eternal home with him in heaven because sin and God cannot coexist. If a person cannot have peace with God, then that person is without hope. And if that person is without hope, then life is drudgery. Life is a painful and difficult and unfair experience. It's just really void of purpose. And at this point, if you've ever transgressed down this path, you have come to the question, what is the point of it then? Why am I here? What, what's, what is the, the big idea? We've asked that question before, probably most of us. And everything hinges on the atoning death of Christ and on his resurrection. That's what I want to point out to us today. Everything hinges on that. Easter Sunday and the week leading up to Easter Sunday are really kind of a mixed bag of emotions for for Christians, for people that follow Christ, because 
we don't get to celebrate the empty tomb without the cross. They're connected. It's not, though, a part of the story that we like to focus on. It is sad. It's really, when you think about the details of the crucifixion, it's horrifying. It is uncomfortable. It is bloody. It's rated R. And we just rather not focus on that part too closely. But the cross is the specific instrument that God used to redeem his people. And so, as we sang at our Good Friday service, we cherish the cross, the old rugged cross. The cross and the empty tomb are eternally connected because Friday isn't good unless he rises from the dead on Sunday. We can't rightly celebrate the empty tomb without first understanding the cross. And so this is where Psalm 22 serves us so well as God's people. This is another Psalm of David written around 900 years ago, as Jason mentioned. It was likely written, the purpose for it was a response of David feeling pressure and aggression from all around him. Both his enemies, the people that didn't like him, and the people that were supposed to be his friends, even his sons, his very own family, they had it in for him. They weren't standing by his side. They were attacking from every angle, and David felt it. And these words express what he felt. Let's read them together. You'll notice some of the prophecies that are fulfilled on the cross as we read. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and your father, and you are fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm, not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet... You are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from birth. And from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. There's no one to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They've pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You've rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. 
and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who cannot keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Father, on a day like today, I pray for the Spirit to move in a way like we've not seen. Lord, to accomplish not the expansion of our own egos or even these, this church, but Lord, for the glory of your name to come about in our own lives, in the lives of our homes, our communities, and this nation and your people all over the world. Lord, may we, may we be reminded that you have done it. It's finished. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Question. As we think about these verses and think about David's authorship of them, did David know 900 years before the coming of Christ that he was going to be prophesying about the death of the Messiah? I don't think so. I doubt it. When he wrote this, he was addressing the very immediate pressure, attack, that was coming on his life. His own very deep sorrow in very figurative terms. But I think those figurative terms were given to him by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We talked uh, last week about how in Acts, Peter identifies David as a prophet in that he prophesied some of these things to come to pass about the Messiah. On this side of the cross, even though David may not have known it then, on this side of the cross, the things that he speaks speak clearly of Jesus and his crucifixion. I loved the way last week or two weeks ago that Jason helped us understand this idea of messianic psalms with the flashlight. I don't know if you were here. You can go back and watch that or listen to it online. But he talked about how in the Old Testament, the, the, the light is, is narrow. The beam is small. You can, you can kind of make out what is there. There's light there but it's sort of indistinguishable. We're not quite sure. It's there, but we're not sure what it's pointing at. Well, in the New Testament, it's like that beam just expands and it gives bright light, a much brighter and wider light to illuminate the subject who, as we know, is Jesus himself. The Old Testament may have been shadows, but it's fully illuminated in Jesus in the New Testament. Psalm 22 undoubtedly was a personal petition for David but for help from the Lord. A petition by David for help from the Lord. But it also served as a congregational prayer for the people of Israel throughout the ages. The whole Jewish community would have understood this. And so when they were in distress, when they felt abandoned by the Lord, they would come to Psalm 22 and, and pray it back to him. It would, would have been a common thing that they would have heard. How many of us have uttered 
a similar prayer. Just look at verse 1. We are familiar with those words from Christ on the cross, but how many of us have thought the same about our own lives? God, why have you left me? Why have you forsaken me? Hundreds of years in the future, after experiencing horrific torture and left to die by evil men, Jesus himself recites this very first verse. And in doing so, he joins with the multitude of human beings in their affliction by crying out to God. Pop quiz time. Are you ready? I learned this this week, so this is a little unfair, but... uh, before the Psalms had a number put to them, you know, Psalm 1 through 150, before they had a, a, a number put to them, how generally would people identify which Psalm was which? Colin? You're exactly right. I just learned that this week. So they would know which Psalm was which by quoting the first line. So here's why that is important. When Jesus quotes the first line of Psalm 22, what did Every Jew that was present with an earshot that heard what Jesus was saying, what did their mind immediately go to? Psalm 22. Not just the first words that Jesus recited, but all of what it said. And specifically, they would have remembered three pretty distinct things. Kids, these are the three you're to be listening for. The first thing is in verses 6 and 7. You can glance at that with me. He was scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. And this is a sarcastic phrase. The next, he says, he trusts in the Lord. You can hear the sneering in this. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Kind of like that schoolyard bully who's wagging the finger and using the condescending tone and mocking the person he's bullying. This is what they were doing. And so when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jews saw this happening. I think the little antennas would start going up. But then verse 16, there's another prophecy that's fulfilled in the death of Christ. It says, they have pierced my hands and feet. Verse 18, they divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Those of you who are familiar with the story of the crucifixion, you remember those things. It's almost like it's a we're reading from this script of Jesus' last hours from Psalm 22. If you were a Jew standing near the cross when Jesus said this, man, I can't imagine your breath not just being taken away. Recognizing, remembering what had happened in Psalm 22 and then seeing it all played out in the life and death of Christ right here, just the horror of it all, taking your breath away. Psalm 22 was coming to life in the death of Jesus. Marshall Seagal, a writer for DesiringGod.org, beautifully captures this connection. And this is a lengthy uh, quote, but I want to read it. I think it's helpful as we connect some of Psalm 22, with what happened through the crucifixion. Like the ravenous jaws of wild bulls, verses 12 and 13, the scribes and Pharisees wanted every last ounce of Jesus' blood. The viper's brood had hunted him at every turn, falsely accusing him of evil and conspiring to destroy him. While he hung where he never belonged, they mocked him. He saved others. 
He cannot save himself. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. Fulfilling what had been foretold in Psalm 22.8. Like a pack of mad dogs with razor teeth, verse 16, the crowds seethed with cravings to kill. Salivating, they yelled, let him be crucified. Pilate asked, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. The children of wrath rose up in monstrous rage, hating their one and only hope. Like a herd of lions crouching murderously behind blades of grass or wild oxen stampeding their prey, verse 21, the soldiers licked their lips. They stripped him naked. They forced thorns into his head. They spit into his sinless face. They drove nails into his hands and feet. After hanging him out to die, they gambled for his garments. Just, it has, just as it had been written in verse 18 of Psalm 22. They relished his misery, laughing into the face that would soon shine like the sun at full strength. Even one of the criminals, hanging for his own sins and facing his own judgment, spent one of his very last breaths despising the sun. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us, he said. And if the scribes, crowds, soldiers, and robbers were not enough... His closest friends left him. Peter vigorously denied knowing him, then repeated himself, and the rest fled in fear. Jesus was surrounded in every way. So in the narrow sense, Psalm 22 is David's cry for help, being surrounded by his enemies, hard-pressed on every side. But in a broader and more fully illuminated sense, Jesus cried for the same reason. With pierced hands and collapsing lungs, Jesus clung to the psalm, Psalm 22. And it's his words that we focus on today. The reality is, and this is painful to even think about, the reality is all of that stuff that we just described was just a hangnail compared to the wrath to come. The wrath that Jesus was to endure Isaiah 53, verse 10, reminds us that it wasn't Pilate, it wasn't the guards, it wasn't even the Jews who did this to Jesus. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. The righteous wrath of God the Father came pouring down on Jesus for thousands of years of rebellion and sin. And it was enough to crush him. But here's the part of the story that we can never forget, okay? It's the reason why the Easter bunny and Easter baskets and chocolate eggs and all of that stuff can never be what we focus on today. The part of the story that we can never forget is that the resurrection celebrates Jesus' triumph over sin and death, which are both things that he only experienced because of us. He experienced them for us. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, you could put your name in there. For Rod's sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Romans teaches that the penalty of sin is death. But Jesus never sinned. So his death was special. He would have never needed to die, but if he became sin, your sin, my sin, for us in our place, then he was going to have to die. 
And he did. Jesus was crushed in our place. He was crushed in my place. Friends, he was crushed in your place. Isaiah 53, 6 reminds us of our real condition. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone, we have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. If we as individuals, as families, as churches, focus people's attention on the commercial aspects of Easter, then we need to stop and we need to think a lot longer and harder on the reality of the crucifixion. Because Easter is not about those things. In my place, condemned he stood. Now, Everything I've pointed out this morning so far has been the forsakenness felt by David and ultimately by Jesus on the cross. And while it's real and we shouldn't forget why this occurred, that's not the only thing happening in Psalm 22. This extraordinary psalm begins with lament, but it ends in praise. See, when Jesus quoted Psalm 22:1, that first line saying, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't because he didn't know the Father's plan. Like, what are you doing? Why is this happening? That's not why he asked, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't because he didn't want to fulfill that plan. It's not like he was asking, why me, God? He was a willing participant in this whole thing. Jesus' cry on the cross was a cry of identification with mankind's suffering because of sin with the deliberate hope of looking through the painful circumstances straight to through the faith, to the faithfulness of the father through the painful circumstances to the faithfulness of the father jesus wasn't forsaken for anything he had done he was forsaken for you he tasted death for you so that you wouldn't have to he owned the weight of this and the reality of it in verse 1. But he had not forgotten how, how Psalm 22 ends. Psalm 22 ends with a note of triumph. Read with me verses 22 through 24. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him all you offspring of Israel. For he's not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. Verse 27 and 28. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nation shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. Not only these verses, but the final verses of Psalm 22, they point to Jesus, the Messiah, that God was going to send. Look at verses 30 and 31. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. That he has done it. That's the message of Easter that we proclaim to a people yet unborn, those coming in front of us that need to know the truth that he has done it. On the cross when Jesus said, it is finished, you know what? He was actually just getting started. He continues saving people today. 
Praise the Lord. People who have no right of having their sins paid off aren't deserving of it in any way, and yet He does it for every single person who believes. The cross reveals the dreaded consequences of sin, man, but it screams the love of God. The empty tomb also stands as the paid receipt of God's purchase of his children. When you're tempted to doubt, when you're tempted to think that you are just too bad and God could never love you, be reminded of the empty tomb. Jesus was raised to new life and he raises you to new life too. Christians, we don't run to our goodness. We don't run to our effort. We don't work hard for God to love us. That's not how this relationship works. All we can do is point to the cross. All we do is point to the empty tomb, not anything in and of ourselves. Our hope and our prayer here at Ramsey Creek is that you would stop believing in your own ability to be right before God and put all of your faith in the resurrected Savior. He died in your place, a death that you couldn't, you couldn't do. Your death would have been like every other person's in history. You're deserving of death because of sin. Jesus wasn't. And because he died in your place, you can have new life in him. If Christ had never been raised, Paul says Christians are the most miserable creatures. In fact, the message paraphrases 1 Corinthians fifteen nineteen like this. If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we are a pretty sorry lot. It's true. If Christ was never raised, we have no hope. But if Christ has been raised, it changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. Because Jesus has been raised, every person who's been, who is found in him will also be raised on the last day. And they'll sing this song triumphantly together from 1 Corinthians 15, 54. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Victory in Jesus. If Christ has been raised then, then we have every reason to look through the painful circumstances we may be enduring straight through to the faithfulness of the Father. Let's pray today. Father God, your faithfulness is what endures. Lord, we are a a fickle and really lighthearted people. We we don't take things as seriously, seriously as we ought to. Our minds change from day to day, from moment to moment. But Lord, you never do. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so, Lord, it's because of your faithfulness that we have Psalm 22. It's because of your faithfulness that we have salvation. And Lord, I would pray and ask today if there are people here who don't know you, who they've not put their faith in you, 
Maybe they've been at church for many years. Maybe they've heard a lot of sermons and messages. But Lord, maybe they've never intentionally and specifically put their faith in Jesus. Lord, I pray that that would happen this morning, today. That this Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, Lord, their lives, their souls might be resurrected too, just the same. Lord, this is a work that only you do. You have done it. And we pray that you would do it in us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.